Welcome to Grant Seeker Coffee Talks, a podcast for nonprofits to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we're discussing key strategies, tools, and tricks to help you feel more in control of your time. Our speakers today are Rachel Werner and Linda Howard. Rachel is the CEO of RBW Strategy and provides grants and project management consulting to nonprofits. Linda, who is the first voice we are going to hear, is a certified management consultant and founder of Howard Consulting. We'll be hearing tips and advice for the first half of this episode. Then at the end, we'll wrap things up with a Q&A with questions submitted by webinar attendees. All right, let's join the conversation. Here's Linda Howard. All right, thank you everybody for joining us. Project management can be really valuable, even though it's not a sexy topic, and even though people may think, well, why would I need to, do I need to care about project management? In the public sector, as in many sectors, it contributes 100% to any mission. This is what I firmly believe and why I do the work that I do. Whether you're managing a big event, whether you are managing a construction activity or some, you know, building a building, building a small building, or managing a five-year-old's birthday party or trying to keep kids active and busy. If you think about the characteristics of project management, we're doing all of that in any one of these projects to some degree. Many of you are probably have a lot of operational experience, but maybe no formal training, no project management experience. You've never had the words project management and your name uttered in the same sentence. Probably some of you have had somebody knock on your door and say, Linda, you know, you've been doing such a great job doing the work that you've been doing. We have this new project that we think you'd be ideal for, and we would like you to manage this. Oh, but, oh yeah, you have to do it in addition to everything else that you're doing. And you don't get to, you know, have a lot of say and supervisory authority over the people on your team. You just have the responsibility to get things done. And congratulations. You guys are all accidental project managers. And when you're the accidental project manager, the person who, you know, we didn't go out and get training to do all of this kind of job, we still have the roles of project management. And this, these are the three roles that I think are, are the ones that frequently come up. One is you have to be seen as the leader, even if you don't really feel it quite as inside of yourself as you might wish you did. You also have to be able to look backward in order to predict the future. So you're looking at, what has happened in the past in your organization, what's happened on past projects and in past programs, so that you can use that information and figure out how to plan what's going to happen in the future. We're doing, you see this in the news right now. Everyone's looking at past pandemics, past uh, epidemics, and looking at the metrics and looking at the, the solutions and trying to predict when the curve is gonna flatten in our current pandemic. All of those are aspects of project management, but in addition to that, we all wear a bunch of other hats. We might be playing therapist. We might be refereeing 
challenges and issues between teams. We may be coaching some of our colleagues and our, our staff. We may be trying to herd the cats because, and they're all trying to go in a different direction. And we have to produce the magic that makes what we're trying to get done, done. And sometimes that means we're make, being a facilitator and negotiator the pest trying to get people to get things done when they haven't, they're not making as much progress as we want. And yeah, sometimes we get blamed when it doesn't all work, but welcome to the roles of project management. Some people are gonna see us as the hero coming in to swoop in and try to make things happen and get things going. And yet there's always resistance. And our job, some of our job is over, to overcome resistance. My grandson, Kep, is trying to bring Sparky along and wants Sparky to go in a particular place, and Sparky has no interest in going where Kep wants him to go. And we all see that in project management roles. And all we're all balancing too many high priorities and competing priorities, especially right now. And so Rachel is going to talk to you about bringing some additional tools and taking more of the concepts of project management and bringing them into your world and how to help you be more effective in this project management role. Rachel? Yep. I am living proof of managing uh, multiple priorities and being an accidental project manager at home. I have a five and a nine-year-old, so um, we are, my husband and I are um, doing the project management right now at home and within our work as well. So the struggle is real. So all of this is very applicable. So when you're looking at this, you know, as Linda mentioned, when we started to put this together, we were looking at this just from a nonprofit organizational standpoint. But I also want you to think about this in terms of your personal life, because in addition to your household and your pets and other family members and other things that you need to do and other you know critical concerns there's there's that rolled up into this as well so hopefully these tools can help in that aspect as well so it doesn't have to be one versus the other you can kind of look at your working and living at home for the foreseeable future and so you can put all of those important um, projects together to kind of help you kind of see what are the main priorities because right now we can't separate them. So what we want to do, and, and I also want to um, specify that in a normal course of operations, there would obviously be more time to plan, there'd be more time to evaluate and to really be forward looking. And right now there's also, there's just a focus on the crisis intervention and just trying to get stuff done. And I think that um, these pieces, you might not be able to do all of them right now for project management during a pandemic, but I do encourage you, and I'm sure Linda will as well, to think about these and other aspects of your work, because I think some of these pieces can relate now, and some pieces might be more applicable during a situation when you have normal course of operations. So these are the six key questions that really are helping us guide effective project management. You know, where are we going? What's the journey that we're going on? And what do we want the end result to be? How are we going to get there? And the most important thing that we want to think about is do we have the resources we need 
have we looked through the full breadth and scope of those different tests and decide, are we able to do this? Especially now, if you work in a direct service organization, and right now you're tasked with trying to come up with virtual solutions, do you have the, um, the bandwidth, literally the bandwidth able to, to capture all of that, you know, virtual interactions? Do you have the systematic capabilities? And also are the staff trained? So there's things like that to consider and also thinking about those roadblocks. Now the measuring progress and how will we know when we're done, those might not happen during a crisis situation, but they are important for you to consider because I think that it could be something to be more reflective of a lessons learned and thinking about crisis mitigation, um, contingency planning in the future. So step one, where are we going and how are we gonna get there? When we talk about creating the plan, it does not have to be an exhaustive plan. It could even be just um, a simple Google spreadsheet that you share and, and just being able to um, share with all of the key stakeholders within your organization and outlining the key tasks. You don't have to make it onerous. It's just making sure that there's an understanding of what are the key priorities now? Have you all spoken and mapped out, okay, these are the things that we need to change? Or these are the, you know, have we missed something? Um, what, are the, what are the subtasks underneath each of these larger projects? And have those been articulated? Who's responsible for them? And also bringing in the correct stakeholders. I think that the stakeholders are really important because you want to make sure that those questions um, are addressed and that those folks who are frontline and who also are leadership are on board and coming up with those different priorities. So do we have what is needed? This is, I think, is really, really important. Think about some of your high priority projects, high priority tasks. Um, do you have the resources you need to keep working on them, to complete them? I mean, let's talk about, um, you know, one of my clients is providing auditory services in a clinic. Well, they've had to stop their services because they can't provide auditory via telehealth at this point unless they completely revamp their system in which they need additional influx of funding. So thinking about the high priority projects that you currently have, do you have the resources? And so here's the assessment that you want to do. You want to look across the organization. Again, this could be your own personal life as well. Um, staffing. You want to look at the infrastructure and seeing if you have the right technology and equipment. That's in incredibly important right now because that's how we're able to communicate and some organizations are, do not have that infrastructure either at home or within the organization are you able to vpn in and access files do you have you know a shared system to to connect information and how are you communicating with other peer organizations um, also thinking about, well, obviously facilities, there's not going to be concerned about that right now, but it could be for those who are still open to their, to, to serve the communities. And, um, another big issue is knowledge, because if you don't have the understanding that could impact your ability to respond effectively and thinking about the organization's, um, or your own personal finances and able to offset some of these costs. Do you need to find additional resources? 
Uh, next one. And got to have a system. We love systems. And it, you know, and I'm a big believer that as long as the system works for you, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. And there's definitely tons of resources out there. You can use a scrum based approach. There's cloud tools, there's spreadsheets, there's, you know, all different kinds of grant software, including grants hub. And, and just to make sure that you're consistent in tracking information and you're giving access to stakeholders. So, so just making sure that you're looking at um, all these different resources out there. Okay, so <laughs> this is one of the critical steps here. How will we address and remove roadblocks? When we think of roadblocks, to, to us that really comes up as risk management. So risk management and mitigation is really thinking about contingency planning. Now, I don't think any of us could have put in um, you know, our risk management plan global pandemic. I don't think any of us would have put that in um, at, the, at the onset, but I think that it's something that can start putting into your fiscal year planning process. And also um, once there, the restrictions end, it could be something as a lesson learned to discuss, you know, how can we improve our systems? How can we think about potential risks? And so there's the different stages here of risk management process, which is identifying risk, assessing them, creating a response and implementing that response. There's a whole um, presentation that Linda and I actually did on this subject, so I won't belabor it, but it's just something to consider, especially when you start to see some of the fault lines in your own organization that might impact your ability to move forward and some of the progress. So one thing that I think is really critical is changing our mindset, because sometimes I think that we feel like we don't have control. And I want you to really start thinking about the things that you do have control over, because you, you are able to be more effective than you think. And some of it is just learning some few simple tricks and tips. So just taking control. So even though you may not be able to control the world right now, that's just not gonna happen. But what can you control? Maybe you can control some of your schedule. Maybe you can control some of the ways in which you're able to work right now in um, even different parts of your residence. You know, maybe you're able to offset some responsibilities with a partner. Maybe there's other things that you can do to try to um, change your schedule and adapt that. Are there different times of day that you can work? And so I think a lot of it is just looking at the priorities that you have and seeing when you can adjust them in your schedule and trying to create better, better management habits. So I think that one thing that's really important is time management, creating the schedule to make it happen. Because we all know that time management right now is is really difficult because if you're homeschooling kids or taking care of ailing parents, taking care of pets, you know, trying to run a household, it's really difficult because you only have certain times. I mean, for instance, what I've done in my life is that um, I've had to say in the beginning part of the day, I have to be available for homeschooling my children. And so now my meetings and my other tasks have to be moved to after lunch because I know that that's gonna be really important to adjust my schedule. And then I have to make sure that if there are pieces in the morning that you know, I might have to wait on responding to certain emails. I, I have to be available now because of the fact that I'm needed more at home. And habit management, because I think that good habits can lead to better behaviors. And it doesn't have to be anything that sophisticated. For instance, 
you know, I try to set off certain blocks of time for um, following up with clients and doing different tasks, you know, for, for the work that I do with nonprofits. And so I have to set aside looking at it specifically in my, my Outlook calendar, okay, 15 minutes on this task every week. Even though I know that that task might shift, I know that that's a block of time that I need to have. And so are there certain blocks of time with that you can put into your calendar that you can um, align with some of those priorities that were identified? And that to me creates a better system project management because it's something that we can try to control as best we can. Okay, so I'm going to just talk about a case study and then I'm going to hand it off to Linda. So how did a social service organization change its course amidst the recent pandemic? So I have a client that provides services to people experiencing homelessness. They provide um, emergency transitional housing programs, vocational programs, as well as um, clothing and home, household good distribution. and obviously they had to pivot because I mean they can't change the fact that they're going to offer the housing to the population that they serve but they had to change the way in which they did it so they started coordinating with another nonprofit organization and they started to put together a plan for this is what we need to do for the staff safety and also for um, the safety of the people that we serve who are very vulnerable right now because they don't have health insurance. They don't have access to a safe place to live. I mean, it's really critical that they provide service. And also the fact that they can't have volunteers provide food as they would have before and serve them to this population. And so what they're looking at is different kinds of emergency fundraising sources. And they're also coordinating with other peer organizations. And the model that they've established has actually been recommended by the state and the county to use that. And so I think that it shows the power of nonprofits and how you're able to work together during very difficult times. So I appreciate what you're doing. So um, with that, Linda, I'm gonna hand it off to you. Thanks, Rachel. And so my case study is about using project management to not, in, not necessarily in dealing with the COVID crisis, although they certainly are, but I'm working with a nonprofit in uh, Maryland that has a program that's been very successful for the last three years to deal with youth homelessness. And they have uh, wanted to take that program and replicate it, use the principles and processes of project management and replicate it to um, other school systems and counties who also have a large population of youth who are homeless and trying to get through through their educational programs. And so we're using concepts of project management and defining the scope, and we're looking at what has worked and what hasn't worked and how can we improve it and find ways to really deal with these kinds of, of activities. And I met with several of them yesterday and we were talking about this crisis and how can we uh, be better prepared? How can the next school system be better prepared? And all of the aspects that we're talking about today about project management and, and managing competing priorities and being prepared and, and addressing risks, all of these things come to play when whether you have a program you're trying to take to another organization or to another school system, another county, another place, or whether you're just trying to take something that has worked and use the lessons 
to plan your next program or projects. So the kinds of things that we're talking about play into all of the kinds of things that you're doing to plan and prepare for programs and projects. And so how can you build it into your workflow? And my suggestion is, you know, I always talk about project management thinking by starting small. Pick, pick one that's either, pick a project that you're already working on that's either going really well or not going so well. If you choose one that's going well, look at what is working. What kinds of checklists and examples could you create from what is working? And find a way to make those accessible to everyone. I had one client that didn't, they had a project manager who was doing really well and projects were, were flowing well. Everyone was really um, making a lot of progress. And, but they were everything that they had created, all the templates and so forth were all on their hard drive and no one even knew about them. So find ways to make them accessible by putting them in a virtual tool or in a shared drive of some sort so that others that you work with can take advantage of something that's really working. And use them, figure out how what's working, what's not, tweak them, improve them, and make them work for you. Everything is going to, you know, every organization will be different in how complex they are and how complex their projects are and what level of detail they need on a project. But start small with one. And even if you choose one that's not going well, find something that's not going well and create a, you know, focus on the on one thing that could make a difference in how you can make it improvements going forward. And as a, I'm a scuba diver, and one of the things that we're it's drilled into our head as we're diving is plan your dive and then dive your plan. Don't go off into all kinds of different tangents that aren't on your plan because if you're a scuba diver, your going your life depends on diving the plan that you created. And the same thing happens in project management. Plan your work and then work the plan. Focus on what kinds of things you said you needed to do and then go do those things. And you do those things by identifying what the priorities are. What are the most important things to accomplish the goals or in this case to manage the crisis, to help your folks navigate through those, this uncertain world? Identify what you have available, what you still need. Uh, flesh that out or confirm it with your leadership. Take the project and define what, what are the major milestones? What are the big uh, dates that you need to hit? And then working, work backwards from there if you can. Establish repeatable processes. Find ways, things that work evaluate them and then improve them so that you can, if you're getting ready to do a certain thing, you grab that, whether it's a tangible list or just in your head, you're going to do the same kinds of things over and over um, to make your project more successful. And make sure that you know who's involved, who's got a stake in the game, who's really needs to be aware of what's going on, and who has a stake in what you're talking about, who's, who's important to keep uh, involved or informed. And find some way, whatever works for you, 
And and Rachel talked about a few things earlier, and we talked we shared some examples of some tools. But find a way to track progress, and particularly now where everybody is virtual, finding ways to keep track of what's going on, what's working, what's not working, what's just stalled because of the world the way it is, and what kinds of things you can make progress on, and work on whatever those issues are that you can do and the risks that come up as soon as you identify something. But take an action, create a checklist for yourself, and share it with others that you're working on. Because even when we're here, we're all here in this together, and programs and projects, they still need our leadership, and they still need our management, and they still need us to be involved. So we encourage you, as we're wrapping up here, to embrace your inner project manager. Put your inner project manager hat on and think about the importance of having a process, but also be innovative and find ways to think new ways of getting things done. I'm spending a lot of time talking with colleagues and peers and clients about trying to do things in this new virtual world that we're living in that we used to have to do face to face. Um, but also in doing all of that and trying, figure, trying to figure things out, look for people who are also struggling with the same thing that peers that you've, you've met, other colleagues, and keep those relationships going. Even though there's social distancing, that doesn't mean that we're not able to communicate, really talk to one another on Zoom, on other kinds of platforms, on Skype. Build those relationships and then work together. I had a meeting or a virtual happy hour last night with a group of colleagues and we test drove Zoom. We were all trying different features that we weren't real comfortable with and we got more comfortable having dinner and a glass of wine over Zoom. You know, it can do anything, but keep those relationships going because they're going to be critical for our own self-care. And with that, I'm going to turn it over and see what our questions are. We still have a few minutes for questions. Yes, Linda, I could ask you a few. There's, there's one question that's, that's pretty related, but not, maybe not in the sweet spot, but I wanted to ask it because I knew you'd have some, some good uh, advice. Uh, it's challenging to stay in the know while working from home, receiving information secondhand and not having direct access to senior leaders, uh, has given current healthcare delivery priorities uh, at my work. It's a challenge. So how are others managing the workflow when the information flow is also impacted? So I think the way I would um, answer that is, one is having regular meetings. I have, have a colleague who is working with a client that's having every day, they're getting on a Zoom call with the folks that are leading their work or just the whole team, and they're having a 15-minute stand-up or a 30-minute stand-up, but every single day at a specific time, just like if you were in the office, and having a regular Q&A and status and how are you doing sort of call. So it does a couple of things. One, it keeps you engaged and um, connected to the folks, to what's going on in your offices and also to the people 
It lets the leadership know what kinds of things you're struggling with so that they can figure out how to help and gives you that, you know, in additional information that, because um, we're all getting inundated with emails, but that's what's worked for them. Uh, Rachel, what, do you, what have you seen with your colleagues and clients? You know, I do agree about the, um, the, the daily calls, because I think right now people are getting COVID email overload. And I think that emails might not be the best way to connect. And I also think that using virtual tools, so if you are going to be using Google Drive, Dropbox, Basecamp, if you're using a system, that you can use that to communicate instead. And also it could be used as a means to share deliverables. Um, to ask questions because sometimes it's just a question of timing and people might not be able to be responsive at that moment because they're dealing with something that's higher priority, but being able to kind of come up with a process of like, can you respond within 24 hours or, um, you know, just making sure that leadership is on board with some of those different pieces might, might help with some of that information flow issue. Great. Thank you. You guys really answered that question. Thank you. Um, there's another question here I think is I need answered as well as Fiona. <laughs> How do you still stay out of email and, and in productive work? Oh, um, I, I think that you have to set times. I mean, mm -hmm. even um, is I think it's the Pomodoro technique, right, Linda? Yeah, I find that really useful. So that, that's, um, you know, just something at the, in the appendices here, but the Pomodoro technique is you can actually set a timer. So like 30 minutes. So if you have, you know, you have a priority list of tasks and then you have, there's things like, oh, I'm going to do all these emails within this half hour time period, then do that. And then you can put the timer on. And that's one way to kind of say, all right, I'm going to work on emails now and then hit pause and say, now I have to work on this grant application or I have to do that. And then you have to hold off for an hour. You can turn off your email and, and just make sure that um, if it's within that window, because it is very distracting. Everybody is, um, you know, like squirrels, you know, you're just kind of <laughs> darting your heads up and around and, you know, any sign of, of change. So I think it's really important to kind of separate those tasks out or else you're going to be stimulation overload. Yeah. And I would agree. And one of the things that I've found this week, this has been a really busy, crazy week for me. Uh, and so what I've found, what I've realized in even this week, as I'm trying to manage my own email and my own, you know, squirrel nature <laughs> is that I've been busy in meetings like this and a, a hundred emails might come in in a two hour period and I can click and look at the top most important things. And you know, when you look at your email, which things are the really important things that you really probably do need to look at and which things are things that can wait. And I'm finding, you know, if I have five minutes in between meetings, I might glance at my email and I know the one that I might need to really look at, but all those other ones can wait. And so if they can wait when you're really busy and you're in a meeting, they can wait at other times too. So even though it's like walking out of the door without and, and going away without your phone, you left your phone on the counter, like, oh my God, I'm going to turn my email off for an hour. It really helps you be productive. 
Thank you. That question answers, or that answer answers several other questions about working on multiple elements of a grant and focusing on one versus the other. So it's not just for staying out of email too, though, but those tactics I could see would, would work for those as well. And uh, one question that's come up a couple times is if you find a tool that works for you, is there a way to involve others that may not want to buy into the tool or do you have to have overall adoption in order to make it effective? You can also try a demo and maybe you could try that for two weeks and just do one small project just to try it out and see how it's being used within the organization if people are responding to it. Because sometimes people are hesitant because they just say, oh, this is another you know, tool that I don't need. And, and so I think that it's just about trying to see the functionality that might actually benefit and create more efficiency. It's just something that could help. But I'd suggest start small. Like don't purchase the tool and then convert everything over. Start small and then get the buy-in that way to build an investment. And, good and not, right. And not just buy-in, but also uh, some tools are going to work. You're going to, you're going to feel more comfortable with some tools than other tools. And so again, as Rachel said, and as I said earlier, starting small with a, with a small project of some sort, whether it's an internal project or something other, some other kind of a project, start small with somebody with a, a few people who are interested and find ways to make it work and then show the management how it's worked and how it, you've improved and, and how valuable it is to get their buy-in. Sometimes it requires us to, you know, try it and make it work for ourselves. And sometimes we have clients where sometimes a few people find some tool useful and, but not everyone. And then the other folks start to see some of the benefits and some of the, of the advantages, and then they start buying in. So be a role model would be one other suggestion. Right. And some, I know Grant Hub does this, some have the ability to send emails to people, even though they don't, they don't have to be users, but right. the email reminds them of a deadline and they could send the, the result to you. Like if you need right. something from them, they could get automatic reminders from a tool set that you are using, but they don't have to, to get into it and set it Absolutely. up for themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, any other ones? How about getting signatures from board or CEO, uh, board members or CEOs? I'd, I'd probably suggest a, 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 particularly in these virtual days right now, some kind of an online uh, signature tool like HelloSign, which is used for contracts or HelloWorks, DocuSign. Some of those kinds of, of tools might be useful because they send a virtual, they let you get a virtual signature. Yes, so then you could use it mm -hmm. in conjunction with your project management tool. Mm -hmm. um, here's another great question. Uh, in terms of, and, and Rachel, you might be living this as well. When you're working with grants and you're managing the grant development project at the same time as sweating the details for writing the narrative, and when you're writing, you need focus, and then you still need to manage the overall project, how do you split that up or optimize your time and, 
and focus? Um, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I think you have to prioritize the, the grant and, you know, I like to specify which grants are more of your churn and burn where you just have to write it and you've been, you've received renewal funding before where you may not necessarily need to put a lot of thought wear into it. And then there's a difference between that and maybe, um, a funder, which is, it could be a renewal funder, but they require a lot of different details. And then there's new funders. So I think it's also just prioritizing the different type and the, diff and the different information needed because some are going to require more parts of your brain. And so as you start to think through what you need to do, I would actually put hours allocation against each of the different elements that are required because is there going to be cultivation needed? Is there going to be um, written narrative that you need to develop um, from scratch that you need to get programmatic staff are there outcomes that you need to gather so I think it really just depends on um, where you are in terms of the process and the type of funder relationship that you have perfect um, how about working with attitudes of coworkers and managers that are always short and curt especially as we work into this remote environment that may be new for a lot of us. How do you have any ideas on promoting levity or just a little bit more connection um, in the weekly the, roundup meetings or just otherwise too? This is Linda. One of the things that I did yesterday with a group was we're, we're all inundated right now with emails in our inbox and news on uh, that emphasize the crisis and the negative aspects of this coronavirus. And so I worked with a group yesterday and we all came up with what is something that has been positive that has come out of the fact that we're mostly working from home. And we, you know, a number of people, I mean, it was a way to sort of reframe the, the world that we're living in right now into a more positive uh, way and what are we getting out of it? What are we learning? What are we gaining as a result of having to do this? And my guess is that the positive things are going to change over time, but it was a way to keep the focus away from the negative and, and reemphasize the positive. Things about taking, getting, getting more time with your family, having more time to talk to your adult children, even if they're across the world or across the country getting, you know, some of the house projects done because we're not, we're taking some of that time that we would have spent traveling and, and doing some other things. That would be one little additional agenda topic to bring into your meetings. Yes. And that just starting out asking if people are okay or before you wrap up, just asking, are you doing okay? And, and that, that has allowed people to, to share in our organizations, I know. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and like you said, there's some unexpected good things that are coming out of it with, uh, you know, I worked remote already and, and the rest of our organization now has to work remote and, and we're connecting in different ways. So Right. I have uh, friends who do video yoga, you know, <laughs> they do a 10 minute Zoom call and they all do a video yoga. I mean, they all do a, a yoga or one group was sharing uh, positive uh, links in the chat on positive uh, videos that they've seen or something funny, some cat video, just as a way to break things up and, and reconnect and, and share. 
Excellent. Well, I think we're wrapping up the questions. If you guys have any parting advice you want to uh, leave our attendees with, go ahead and, and chime in now. Linda, do you have anything? I think what I would say is, you know, again, stay positive and look at what kinds of things are uh, making progress and what kinds of things are working and build on those and ask colleagues for their ideas and advice. And I'm happy right. to help in, in, in whatever way I can as well. And I will say that um, I think that I, I'm trying to frame this as an opportunity. And what I mean by that is an opportunity to reflect, an opportunity to think through some changes that might actually lead to greater benefits for the organization, an opportunity to reconnect. And so I think that it's really easy to feel defeatist in a time when we don't feel a lot of control. So I think that trying to um, also not beat ourselves up because we cannot all be at 100% in every way within our work life, within personal life right now. So, and I'm dealing with this too, so I, I understand is trying to give ourselves some space to breathe and to be okay in the fact that we're not all going to be at our best right now. Yes, yes, that is so important to remember with everyone. Thank you so much for that and being so flexible and, and helping on all the different types of questions we've had today. So thank you everyone for attending. We hope you enjoyed today's topics and our speakers and we encourage you to follow up with them if you have additional questions or would like to look at what, what other services or trainings they provide. Thank you again and we wish you all success in your fundraising efforts and please stay self safe and healthy. So that was our conversation. There were a lot of great questions and potentially some new ideas to try out. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundin Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk.